the Sober Experiment podcast by Be Sober with Alex and Lisa. Season three is sponsored by IPHM, an accreditation board for holistic therapists and training providers around the world. I'm Alex, one half of the Sober Experiment. And I'm Lisa, the other half. Morning, BFF. <laughs> Morning, BFF. How are you? Do you know what? I'm all right. Are you? I am all right. I'm, you know what? I'm absolutely freaking shattered. But you have had a lot on this week, haven't you? Especially moving offices. Um, yes. And you've been lugging furniture around. And, yes. Yeah. And I joined the Be Sober exercise class on Monday, which has, you know, it was wonderful. Alex, you led it. You was amazing. But I won't lie, I have been cursing you every single time I've tried to go up and down the stairs. And when I moved offices, there were three flights of stairs. <laughs> oh, it's all stretching the muscles. You've done a great job. But plus as well, you've also taken up your running again, haven't you? So I bet that's played a part. Yeah, like what has happened to me? Must be getting some inspiration from somewhere. I wonder if it's because you're dating. We won't go into that today, but you know. <laughs> Anyway, moving swiftly on. Yeah, sure, we're going to have to have a big chat about this, you know. All our members are dying to know about your relationship status. We, we will have a chat about it because I think it's like a big thing to talk about, actually, relationships and starting dating and, like, relationships anyway is a really yeah. good subject, isn't it? Like, whether past relationships, new relationships, and dating is sober is a whole other level I have realised I'm just an awkward absolute geek and you've always been a geek I told you this on the phone yesterday right you've been one of those popular geeks who pretended <laughs> like to be something else for years and now you're not those things because you're not drinking you know yeah. you're showing your geekiness even more but that's nice I love that about you that's why we're best friends I know it is you know we said last night on our live that we don't know what we've got in common actually when I think back to the first time we met we were both awkward then awkward little yeah games. Alex I had to sleep at your house and I didn't even know you that surely that's like awkward and we had them weird pizzas like and you hate pizza (laughs) you know what the worst thing is about this whole situation you're not going to blame me for why you started drinking because you realized at that point you had social anxiety i'll take the smoking but i'm not taking the drinking all right (laughs) so anyway today's guest we've got emily haven't we who's the founder of sober and social was it 2018 that she founded at least 2018 yeah, and it's a, it's like a global brand and community supporting people who want to explore and lead a teetotal lifestyle. So the core ethos of Sober and Social is to empower, encourage and celebrate living the healthiest and happiest life. So let's hear from Emily. Hi, Emily. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Hi, how are you guys? We're good, thank you. You know what? It's so funny because we've actually just done an off-air podcast for at least 22 minutes. <laughs> and it'd be, um, yeah, we thought we'd better involve our audience in our conversation. <laughs> yeah, it'd be good for people to hear what we have to say, wouldn't it? Yeah, so we were just talking about coffee. Now, our audience know that my coffee addiction was off the rails and now I've transferred it to Lisa. But you're actually making a really good point about your coffee intake at the minute. Yeah, so I, my coffee, like, definitely replaced my drinking and drug-taking addiction, just, um, like, I know it does for a lot of people, and it actually got to the point where I was feeling just really anxious, um, coupled with smoking as well at at the beginning, um, I have stopped smoking now, I just like to stipulate, but it it, it did take a while, I reckon that was a good 
two years after I stopped drinking for the smoking to fully to fully go. Um, yeah, and the coffee just started making me feel really anxious, actually. And I just thought, right, I need to, yeah, it's like, it's like the next phase, isn't it? It's the ever-evolving phase of personal development once you get sober of, oh, what can I do next? What's now making me feel awful? So for me, it's been the coffee. So I am on one a week now. I can't believe that. You might as well cut it out altogether, Emily. That's let's just let's just put that out there. <laughs> yeah, moderating coffee. Like, how do you feel about that one a week? When do you have it? Do you prepare? Is it like it's ceremony? Ceremony? <laughs> what, what happens? So this week, it it was on a Monday morning actually. Oh, good time. <laughs> go for a walk, get a coffee. Um, but then last week it was a Saturday when I went to a market. So it, oh. it varies. It, who knows when it's going to be? I just, <laughs> you know, I keep I like to keep some excitement in my life, you know? <laughs> you know what I love? If there's anybody like new to so- being sober and this is their first ever podcast listen, they'll be like, is this what I've got to look forward to? <laughs> one coffee a week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but one coffee, lots of clarity, lots of motivation. No regrets, better finances, clearer skin, better hair, and being a better person on top of your one cup of coffee. So yes. I actually think it's quite a good quite a good deal, really. You've just nailed sobriety right. We'll see you next week, listeners. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> It's true, isn't it? That you know, you know, when you kind of first get sober and you're massively focusing, and you see these people, and I'm, I'm sure you've got them in your members groups as well, where they go. And I want to stop smoking and I want to stop eating sugar and I want to cut down on coffee. And you just can't do everything. I don't believe you can do everything at once or you should do everything at once. You've just got to start with alcohol and get sober, right? 100%. I think that's all that matters, isn't it? And I, I even said this to myself in like my first like month. I was like, I don't care what you do in the world, but you cannot pick up a drink and you cannot take a drug. So I don't care if you go home and you eat three macaroni cheeses or you smoke 60 Marlboro Lights or you have five lattes a day. You can do whatever you want, but you just can't do those two things. And that kind of made like the whole going, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was not easy for me, but it kind of was like, oh, okay, so I can do like literally whatever I want because it always felt like, you know, that had been taken away from me really. So by like training it like that, of course I didn't do those things. Okay, maybe the smoking was not healthy. But, um, but yeah, it just made me feel better that, you know, by saying to yourself, you can do anything you want, just not these two things. There's actually a lot of things in life that you can do. <laughs> so yeah. it kind of like makes the process like a bit easier. And I think in the beginning, it's just about stabilizing, isn't it? It's just being like, okay, what are my primaries here? And what is literally essentially life-threatening, destructive, and is going to, yeah, take, take me down a not very good road. And for me, that was drinking drugs. So as long as those were stabilised, then it's like, okay, what else do we need to do here to make me feel better? Because, you know, of course, if you're not eating food, like good food, or if you're eating junk food and you're smoking loads a day and you're not exercising and doing all of these, you know, healthcare things, well-being things that we know are good for you, you actually still feel pretty shit. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is that you don't realize that you're going to feel shit off not doing those things until you're sober, because actually when you're not sober, it's the alcohol and the hangovers that are making you feel like rubbish. Once that goes and you kind of get past that 30 day mark, you suddenly mm. start to think like you've said, oh, well, now I need to cut back on this or now I need to, you know, focus on doing a bit more meditation or focus on doing I don't know what I snorted for then. <laughs> no way. <laughs> not what I was saying now with that. How did I, I actually pink snorted then? I'm so sorry. Everybody. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> the pink snort. It actually went like this. Honestly, I went. And in my nose, I felt it vibrate. I'm so sorry. You know what it is? It's because you were passionate about what you had to say. I was going to say about having a hot bath, but maybe I should have said about rolling in mud. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, Emily? Can we take you back a little bit? Because I know you've got a background in events and you were saying that it was drinking and drugs. So was that a big part? What actually was your defining moment? And yeah. I mean, to be honest, so, yeah, I think that's like my end of question. Sorry, you know that's it. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> um, to be honest, I think my defining moment was the moment I started drinking because I actually never had like a healthy relation with it um, from the moment I had it from twelve years old. To be perfectly honest, um, and I just think kind of like as I got older, you know, the teenage years were very much blackout drinking, mm-hmm. and then I found drugs at seventeen, which actually allowed my drinking to be better and um, I know that sounds ironic but it did mean that oh I could actually stay out longer and I was more complimentous than I was when I was drinking to be perfectly honest and yeah. um, I didn't lose things I didn't seem to get out of control and that really I mean don't get me wrong I was probably a mess in a completely other way but not in the way that I had been in a sense you know throwing up on street corners blacking yeah. out, not remember what was happening, having to be the person that was sent home at 10 p.m. because they couldn't handle their, you know, gallo rosé. Um, to then being able to actually, oh, I can stay out for two days now <laughs> and I remember everything. And I, I'd i always have this thing where I'd, I'd get quite, like, obsessive with, like, right, have I got my keys? Have I got my phone? Have I got my makeup bag? Have I got my credit card? Like, everywhere that I would go, I would just be like quite on it so I never really lost anything either during those years which is it's just quite amazing and I lost so many things when I was just drinking so yeah so that was kind of like at 17 and then as I got older I moved and I'd always done like events so I my first one of the first jobs I got was working in a pub because you know free booze and socializing it seems like the dream and then even when I went to uni like all of my jobs where I was a shop girl down in Brighton I then worked at a music venue and then another pub. And so I had three jobs when I was at uni, all nightlife related, alcohol related, people related. Did events management at university. Oh, I know, because I'll get to do really cool events, like drink alcohol for free and meet yeah. loads of cool people. Like it was always like everything that I always did was very like centered around this. And then when I moved to London, worked for a well-known concierge service. And that was, again, very like people-based, sorting things out, arranging, but very social so we'd get invited to lots of restaurants or lots of bars or lots of nightclubs and then kind of in my last few years my job role was actually head of nightlife so it was actually my job to go to bars and to nightclubs and you know arrange access for our clients sort out events and make sure they were well looked after so coupled with that obviously is lots of drinking 
and other things that you would perhaps do to help your drinking. Um, <laughs> so, you know, from a really young age, really, it was all, I've always been drawn to that world because of the social element, I suppose. Um, so it's probably no surprising now in my sobriety that I decided, oh, it should be called Sober and Social because it was still, you know, very much me, I suppose, but just not with the alcohol. So, yeah, and then it... And then at 28, it, it did just get to a point where my mental health was at an all-time low. Um, I wasn't really going to work anymore because I couldn't because I was too hungover. Um, and I was just feeling really awful about myself and about my life and just thought I can't really continue. So, yeah, I went and got therapy um, and then started Sober and Social, which is my sober community that runs, in case anyone's listening and has no idea what I'm banging on about. Um, <laughs> well, we've we've talked about it. We've done it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I thought you've done it. Like, we forgot to tell yeah. you that we'd done that bit. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Just in case, you know. Yeah, we didn't just come on, hi, Emily. Here's a random one we've picked up. Let's have a chat. <laughs> <laughs> was there ever a point, Emily, like ha- after you stopped drinking, where you actually thought, I don't want to be as social anymore? Honestly, no. Like, I actually just love meeting people. Like, it, it honestly is my favourite thing to do. I just really like chatting and having conversations and getting to know about people. And I think maybe in, like, some respects, because I've got dyspraxia, and, I, and like, um, for anyone that is... Um, not aware of what that is but it's basically well it's lots of different things like just to give an EG like everyone could tie their shoelaces at school but I didn't know how to tie my shoelaces or people could like tell the time I could never understand how what does it mean on the clock like what time is it or like my time tables like I still don't know my time tables like I was very like slow at learning at school and I think maybe because of that what it did do is it made me focus on other things that maybe I was good at so like you know I can talk to people I can engage in people so I think maybe you know an intellect intellectually is obviously open open up opened up to and it's different for each person right yeah you've got like uh, like intelligence at school which is whether you've got an ASR or not but actually intelligence comes in so many different forms whether it's like logical intelligence or emotional intelligence or personal intelligence or people intelligence so but my intelligence was never really you know an A star student it was you know I got a U in my maths BCSE for example so I think where I'd always felt a bit kind of less than I always focused on okay my other strengths so that really was probably the caveat for me or the motivation for me to go into the events world and and yeah do those do those types of jobs so in, in a really long way to answer your question. Are you sure? <laughs> me? As we, keep, as we keep doing that today. Uh, yes, I have always loved socialising. So that or off my phone. <laughs> so your website started with, I think I'm right in saying you, originally you started just with doing events. Is that right? Yes, that was always my aim was to show people that they didn't have to compromise their life because they weren't drinking and sober and social was set up on the premises of that basically that if people could meet up a you know have those connections and meet other people that were living the same lifestyle as them and and going sober because we all know how difficult that is and how important community and connection really is and kind of 
you know, making that stick and making that sustainable and making us feel like we're not alone in this because it can feel quite lonely at the beginning, I think. Um, but also just to be like, do you know what? You can, you can go have an amazing time and you don't need alcohol to do it. And that was kind of like, yeah, why I set it up. So, yeah, yeah so that, that, was, that was a good synopsis. Thank you. And this has grown now, hasn't it? Like you're now offering support as well. You've trained as a coach. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So I launched the membership. So I launched the membership in September. Um, and the reason for that really was over lockdown, obviously we couldn't do any in real life events. Um, so we had to pivot and make everything online, which was great. And I just kind of thought, you know, we do these like great events. We've got the podcast and um, we've got our Instagram page as well, but there's nowhere really else for people to go to like have the support to be connected to people that maybe they've met at an event or they've interacted with on Instagram or um, whatever it might be. So the membership really was kind of born out of that. And also we were in a global pandemic and I just thought, you know, people needed more support in their sobriety. And so that was kind of born out of that. And then I've done my coaching accreditation, which I'm actually... Um, so I've been coaching for about um, a year now, which has been really exciting. Um, and it is just something I'm so passionate about. And it really has made me realise just how much you can help someone just by, you know, giving a safe space, listening, not advising, but actually just really kind of understanding them and, you know, really helping them move forward with manageable steps and looking at, at goals and how, you know, just by breaking things down, and giving people that yeah that safe space ha- is so it's so powerful because we don't really have that in our life do we just an no. hour just no. to sit there and be like okay what am I thinking and what do I actually feel yeah and, and you know knowing that everything's inside you once that coach be it you or you know any coach brings it out of you you realize that actually I can do this it's all about me I'm I have the power to do this I have the power to change my life and it is about empowerment do you not think though I mean I found when I was doing my coach training I said my self-discovery really took off at that point because I found myself coaching myself like I had a little conference going on in my head <laughs> all day like no right we're not gonna ha- we're not gonna have that drink what would you like to achieve today you know like <laughs> yeah even today even today in bed like I was thinking about something I need to do this morning and I was like will this choice empower you or disempower you (laughs) towards your goal I was like staying in bed next for five minutes will disempower me so I need to go and quickly get in the shower (laughs) so yeah you do start to kind of like start thinking like that in your life don't you and then when you can do that for other people as well like the results are like incredible and people generally can lead more fulfilling and encouraging yeah and empowering life by by having a coach so yeah that has been an amazing journey to go on this this past year really and then we've got the podcast so yeah we've got a few bits going on yeah I think you know looking around your website it's got quite a a good offering hasn't it it's like very balanced it's got the social aspect it's got I mean I know we were talking before we've got quite a lot in common actually be sober and sober and social in in the things and you know watch this space because there might be a collaboration coming up hey Emily (laughs) yeah exactly watch out for in real life events (laughs) yeah definitely so can you tell us about like what your journey to and I hate this saying but I always say journey to sobriety was like like you know how did you get sober yeah, so I first started with sobriety when I was 25. 
Um, and that was the first time I was really like, oh, okay, maybe there's a bit of an issue here. And I went sober. I would do like months and like one month I would go and like a juice cleanse and then I'd go back to drinking. And then the next month I, I don't know, trained for a marathon and like didn't drink for, I don't know, five months. And all of these things, I'd go on a yoga retreat or whatever it might be. But I'd always go back to drinking. I didn't really, I couldn't understand like how could people like, go to a birthday party or like deal with like stress after work or you know how is anyone going to accept me if I don't drink anymore if I actually really did struggle with all of these things that kind of went on in my head but when I got 28 I think it was very obvious that alcohol was a problem in terms of like you know not being able to go to work as often not being able to hold down a healthy relationship um feeling I'm just feeling very low the whole time like it it had to be, there's only one common denominator. And when I looked at my life, I was like, I've only ever really regretted things when I've been drunk or hungover. Like me as an other person, as me, I'm like quite a nice person and I'm quite moral and I really care about people and I want to try, I want to be kind and I want to show up in the world and I want to, you know, be at work on time and you know, that, that's who I felt I authentically was. Every time I would drink, it would just really go against that. And I would do things that I regretted. I would behave immorally. I just would do things that are like damaging for myself and always end up in a world of regrets and feeling low and all of these things I'm sure all of us have experienced. But there becomes a point where you're like, those moments are now bigger than you actually being your actual self and yeah. it's like you've got these two people inside of you it's like the good Emily and the bad Emily and the bad Emily I don't really like the term good or bad because it, it you know it's it is what it is but just so people can understand what yeah. I was in my head um you know and that bad was becoming more often than the good but that's when you need to be like okay I'm not actually very happy now I need to sort this out so yeah so that was kind of the and after it was just after another like Another three-day um, adventure, let's call it that. That <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I just can't, I just can't do this anymore. Um, so yeah, so I went and got therapy, which was which was great. Like it genuinely, I don't think I would be sober now if it if it wasn't for that. Um, but I'd actually had the idea for sober and social like two years before I set it up. Um, but I just couldn't stay sober. So then I was like, right, okay, let's just put this out there. Let's get the Instagram page done because once you put it out there, you're accountable then and you can't really yeah, go back. Yeah. So, so that was that was the thing for me, like just putting it out there and it was like, okay, well, you're out now, you've done the therapy. And there were definitely stages where I was toying with like, well, I haven't really posted that much. And if I went and drank, no one would really know. And <laughs> the therapy, like, I can just go back and do therapy again. Like, you know, like there were definitely moments where I was like, do I, do I want to go sober? Is this the life I want to lead? Like, it felt scary, like leaving. Yeah. I suppose you can't get though, really, isn't it? Of how you've ever dealt with social situations, relationships dresses, emotions and like to suddenly not have something there that is going to you know your friend essentially that was going to help you through everything but it doesn't obviously as we know but that's how it felt it was actually really scary 
You it's heartbreaking. Well, Emily, I think you're quite young to have stopped drinking. I honestly, I always say this, but I genuinely wish that I'd have stopped in my twenties, or even never started. Actually, like some people are like, no, I like it. Made me who I was. <laughs> but I'm like, if like I knew, me. <laughs> yeah. But if I knew how good it was, I genuinely envy people that have stopped quite young because it took me like till I was. Thir- we're 38, 38, 39. 38, 38, 39, yeah. Yeah. Still very young. To stop drinking. Yeah, it is still young, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it I'm is. glad I did. But it always fascinates me that people have done it 10 years before. I feel like, God, why didn't I know that then? You know why that That's is, what what I feel like. <laughs> you know why that is, right? And I've got a theory about this and it's just come to me right now. Our wild years, as in our crazy kind of most drunk years, were in our thirties. Yeah. Whereas it sounds like yeah. Emily's were in her early twenties. If yeah. you don't mind me talking about you, as if you're not here, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> so, Go ahead. I mean, I very much enjoy you two having your chat. If I'm honest. But I think that's it. I think that you might, you know, in the tw- in our twenties when we were drinking, it wasn't destructive drinking, and like it was when it was in our thirties. So, you know, I don't, I don't think it's about. Well, Theory, actually. Yeah, you're right. Because when I, I think when I was 30, I'd split up from my husband and tried to, and because so I was a I. young mum, I was a mum at 19. So I tried to rekind- rekindle all them years that I thought I'd lost, which obviously involved drinking. So and we yeah. really did lose years in our 30s. I mean, I, I don't remember a lot of my 30s. They've gone by in a blur because I, I think I did spend a lot of it blackout drunk. And I know you were the same because we were together. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying I mean, to avoid that it. Make sense. <laughs> so that yeah, that it's does just, I make think, sense. I think so. Yeah, and that, I think that's... in some ways, like unless you're doing it for health benefits, um, which of course a lot of people do these days, um, it's got to get to a point where you've got to question it. So in your twenties, if it wasn't problematic, yeah. or yeah. it probably was in its way, but not to the point where you know it's noticeably you need to do something about it. Or you think that yeah. you need to do something about it. I mean, so, I yeah, had bad that, periods, you know, bad times. Yeah. You know, my, my dad died when I was 30, 31. And that was a really big drinking period for me. But then I pulled it back and was fine again, you know. So I think, like you say, it was always coming. It was never a healthy relationship, if there is such a thing. It was never a healthy relationship with alcohol. But it was, it was also not destructive. It only got destructive in for me in my 30s and later 30s. I mean, I... I honestly, and you just with you talking about accountability, I know if we hadn't have set up Be Sober, and this is really like putting myself in a vulnerable position, but I think I would have gone back at one point. Yeah, I, I really do. You think I would have done? I think yeah. I would have done. I think having Be Sober and having to hold myself accountable to people I was supporting, connecting, and obviously my best friend, that wouldn't have gone down great, would it? Um I, th- I think that's what kept me sober. So I think you're right. Once you put yourself out there, it does hold you accountable. And I think that's what holds people stuck, isn't it? Of not breaking the news and not telling people. It's self-doubt. You know, it's mm. a bit of like, I don't know whether I'm going to be able to do this. I don't I don't know if I want to do this, is what you tell yourself. But actually, you're just doubting your ability. And that's where the coach comes in. That's why the coach is good. 
Yeah, and that's why we're good characters. Does this disempower or empower your sobriety? <laughs> I love that. I'm going to say that and I'm actually going to use it at getting up in the morning because I used to be so good at doing that. And the last like few months I've found that I'm like, oh, I could just have a little bit longer. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to literally use them words. I'm going to point something out to you, Lisa. You were also better at getting an early night before. When? When you were getting up earlier. You, you go to bed later now. Yeah, I do. I have been going to bed a little bit earlier. But yeah, I found that... I've, right, I used to say that I was a night owl and that's what I was. So that was my excuse. What she means is she was a piss pot. <laughs> yeah. But I used to say, oh no, I wake up at night. why so I stay up till like seven in the morning <laughs> um, in some random kitchen that I don't know anybody at. <laughs> um, and then when I got sober, I realised that I was a morning person. So for like... A year, I was like, oh, I love mornings and getting up. Then I did like that five, that, what did we read? What was it called? Um, Miracle Morning. Do you love that? So what did we read? This is how bad we are. Well, like, <laughs> we do everything together. <laughs> oh, let's read this, Lisa. And then halfway through, she'll go, I don't like this book. And I'll go, I didn't want to tell you, neither do I. And we both get rid of it. <laughs> It's so ridiculous. We're like a weird married couple. <laughs> We're worse. We're worse. But yeah, that miracle morning. So I started getting up really early. Absolutely loved it. After about six weeks, I was so exhausted, like ridiculously exhausted. <laughs> so then decided I was a night owl again and that I should be up at night. So I don't know what, what I should be doing, really. Just get a routine and stick to it, will you? You're, just, you're making me dizzy. <laughs> Are you, are you a night person now, Emily, or a morning, or, or, or a nanny? <laughs> well, it, it's, a, it's a tricky question, that, because I generally love going out, right? So I would say, if the occasion is there, I really like to go out and, and dance till 3am. But, as a general rule of thumb, I actually like to be in bed by 10pm and get up yeah. at around 6.30am and start my day. Um, so that's how I, and especially over lockdown as well, I feel like, um, and I'm just not very good without any sleep. You know, some people are like, oh, I can survive on four hours. Like, mm. I can't. Like, I become really, like, quite annoyed at the world um, <laughs> and just quite, like, crouchy with people, if I'm honest. So I know that about myself. So I'm like, I know that I need at least, I mean, ideally 10 hours, but, you know, eight to nine hours um, for me to operate as a full human being. So, I'm just going to copy her. I'm going to go to bed at 10. I'm going to get up at six and I'm she going won't. to say to myself in the morning. She won't, right? 10 o'clock tonight, she'll be sat there saying, oh, and we, we, we should add this and we should do this and I'll be doing it back. And then she'll be saying, oh, I can't believe it. I stayed up till 1am. I'm like, yeah, because we were thinking of new ideas. <laughs> and you'll know this, like the ideas that come for things is when you sat. Yeah, so you sat, you know, and that's the problem at night is the only time you stop is after like 9pm some nights, you know, having the kids, having your other businesses, having the lounges. So 9pm, you finally sit down and go, and then all of a sudden it's, oh, we could do this. We could do that. Da, 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 da. <laughs> that's what it is. You just need to switch your thinking time to early. Yeah, you're making time. me tired. <laughs> my fault you stay up late oh dear so in lockdown Emily have you had to, I mean you, you sort of touched on it that you'd, you've adapted obviously for this new kind of way have you done any online events and are you continuing them and what kind of things are you doing as we come out of this lockdown yeah so I actually calculated I can't remember how many it was 
um, last year, how many events we did, and it was loads. Like, it was actually more than we actually did the year before, like, in real life. Um, so, yeah, over lockdown one, we started, I started these things for Thursday Thursdays, which was like an online Thursday meetup, bring your favourite AF drink and basically have a natter and check in every week. So we started doing that. Then we did some fitness events, we did yoga, I did some DJ nights on my Instagram, Specifically, I did not DJ. Um, <laughs> just in case anyone's thinking of hiring me for a party, I can't DJ. Um, so we did those types of things. And then in the membership, um, we have our weekly sharing circles every Sunday, which I absolutely love. Um, and that's basically for people to check in, have their weekly accountability, and just have a space to kind of, we say, share struggles and stresses and successes uh, so people can kind of meet up with each other and then we do mix and mingle once a month so that's um we use a dating app and people go on it and they spend four minutes with each member for like an hour so they can really like meet and have like a really interactive time like the closest thing really that I've come across um being in a bar basically online and um, so we do that once a month and then we always have like an expert workshop so um last month we did a sex and intimacy workshop because you know it's sober sex and dating and intimacy I think actually is really hard when you go sober and it's something that continually comes up in our membership so it was just really and you know we've got quite a few single people in our membership too so we did over valentine's day weekend because i just think you know it's quite empowering isn't it to know that you yeah. can you know self-pleasure and intimacy is not just coming from another person and it is you know a relationship with ourselves essentially so that type of thing and then we've done i know what else have we done uh like we've had a barry's boot camp trainer in we've done pilates we've done yoga we've done sound bath so that's all been going on the past few months um, and then coming out of lockdown, um, in the membership, we are starting walking groups. So um, group six for next month to just go on a walk, grab a grab a cup of coffee when the world would allow. Then we're going to do a picnic in, what, what date are we in now? Hun? May, when we can. I think it's only up to 30 people there outside in May. And then June, we will do something bigger. Um I have an idea of what I want that to be, but still in the planning stages. So yeah, very much. And it will still be online as well. Like we'll still have a mix and mingle, a sharing circle, a workshop, just so people can always stay connected. But of course, um, in real life is where the magic happens, isn't it? And that is why I started over in social. So it kind of makes sense for me to continue with why we started it out of lockdown, really. Yeah, it sounds like busy. I think you should have a sleep when we come out of lockdown. (laughs) Yeah, I know. No, wouldn't you? I mean, I really would. I really would like that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've found that, haven't we? But we've been really busy in lockdown, and I've got some friends who were like, "Oh, should we ever catch up on the phone?" I'm like, "No, No. (laughs) I definitely haven't got time for that." But I'm glad you have. Yes. Um, What age range, Emily? Are people that join your groups? I'm just thinking for our listeners, especially like the single mingle. Can I just say before you answer that question, in the intro, which you haven't heard and didn't know existed, we were talking very briefly about sober relationships. And it is something that we should have a conversation about at some point on here and maybe even come back on Emily, because, yeah, I reckon... Lisa's in a situation. I keep hinting at it. She don't want to talk about it. Situation. She is. She's in a situation where, for the first time in her sober life, she's proper dating. 
With one person, with the same person. Yeah. <laughs> she was talking oh, about it. <laughs> okay, can we talk about this? What date number are you on? Well, I've, yeah, I've had date number three. Oh, yeah. talk, we talk a lot. Like, Social distance, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> at the minute it is Emily but you know if things progress and they're not social distance it's good and seriously I mean not just about Lisa but this is an awkward thing isn't it when you get sober having to go through that whole transition from oh. the mates bit into the sex bit is a bit daunting I think it's daunting in marriage you know and I am going to set, put this out there I'm married I've been married well I've been with my husband for years and when I got sober I was telling Lisa on the phone some of the things and it's awkward and it's not even like... Yeah, like you, you can't put that on here. It would have to be <laughs> But like some of the things that like the awkward moments before sex now are really <laughs> awkward. <laughs> before that thing we do. It's, it, it is really awkward sometimes. I've been with him forever and it's like when you get pissed, you just kind of, you don't remember how it starts. You don't, that's the truth. You don't remember how it starts. You don't remember, you don't remember the act sometimes. Or if it ended, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, don't worry. I have been there as well. Like, I've, I've woken up sometimes and gone, did we have sex last night? You know, like, and he's gone, I don't know. You know, like seriously, but everything is just so vivid. And so you're so present for it. It can be lovely and it can be amazing, but it can also be really scary. You know, like, especially if you don't know who's going to initiate something, having words before foreplay are not easy. <laughs> I just think it's so scary. Like it is. It, it's, it's meant to be fun and enjoyable. It is when you're there. But honestly, for me, as much as it is and it's really nice and it, it's just really difficult as well, really difficult because I've realised what an awkward person I am and like kissing and that how do you go about that like when, when like you're not oh it's just so awkward if you're not stood in, <laughs> if you're not stood in a bar in this in the smoky bar this is what she's trying to say and you're naturally that close to each other that it feels okay to kiss how do you move from one side of the room to the other and yeah, actually engage yeah. in a kiss without saying it and stuff and then <laughs> you're just aware of every touch and feeling and part of you do you know what I mean I said to you but and it's like I said to you that's just a kiss now imagine having to go through all that when you want to initiate foreplay (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think I think the sex piece and the dating and the same dating is a massive blind spot for people really once they get sober because and I think as well like you know if you've been drinking from 12 or young age like I'm sure most people have Every day was drinking, or and basically every sexual encounter was with alcohol for me. I didn't really, I mean, I had a few boyfriends, but nothing really serious. So I'd never been in like a long term relationship with anyone, so I didn't know what it actually meant to have a healthy, sexual, non performative relationship yeah. with someone. Like, I just didn't know what that was. And equally, when I got sober, I realised it's really hard to fancy people when you're sober. <laughs> yeah, you said that, didn't you, Lisa? Yeah. Like, yeah. I just did not fancy people. Like, I was like, well, they're really nice, but that sexual urge that I'd have to basically straddle someone after a glass of wine or a bottle, <laughs> um, or drag them home after three, um, just was not there anymore. Like, it just wasn't. I was like, I just kind of want to go home and have a cup of tea if I'm honest like I found it really hard to feel sexual about people in my sobriety to caveat that the sex that I did have in my sobriety was really good um but it 
it made me realize that sobriety for me made made my sex life less like it was definitely thriving shall we say when I was drinking yeah. whereas when I went sober I mean you know I'd, I'd go months well yeah like yeah a very long time time without sex basically um but also I think a lot of things have come into play with that so a the not fancying someone as much and finding it hard to feel sexual but also b I started to respect myself so much more and love myself so much more that I didn't want to engage in casual sex or have sex with someone that I didn't really trust or that I didn't feel feel safe with and yeah, and I also think I just started respecting my body a lot more and just not wanting to give it away yes. and feeling more confident in myself. I didn't need validation from another person anymore, actually. Like, I very much used sex to feel validated, to feel attractive. I'd almost kind of felt, you know, if I'd, if I'd done that with someone, then I was okay. Like, I was still attractive and people would still want to be with me and, and maybe love me. You know, it was all coming from that. So to get rid of all of that and suddenly be like, right, I've got my boundaries. I feel strong. I feel confident. Oh, I don't actually fancy you anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it's a whole, it's a whole pot really of reasons as I think why your sex life gets less in sobriety. It's, it's, this is really interesting because you know what, and I don't mean this in the way, it'll come out wrong because it always does with me. You'll get used to this. But um, like in a marriage, it's, you can't have that mindset if you want your marriage to stay healthy, I'm already in this relationship where sex has been, like you've described, fiery. You know, I thought I was absolutely gorgeous at 2am with YouTube on, prancing around in my underwear, trying to do sexy (laughs) poses for my husband. And he thought I was gorgeous as well because he was just as pissed. And I'm sure he still does find me gorgeous and the rest of it, but I didn't feel it. So like, you know, going from a very active sex life to then being sober and going, oh my God, like... I don't want my marriage to go to shit. I don't want that element to go because it was, you know, I always enjoyed that element of my marriage. So to be able to get the confidence quickly so that things don't go to shit when you're already in that relationship, it's equally challenging, actually. But it's interesting Mm. you say it because I actually had just thought, oh, maybe I'm perimenopausal and my sex drive isn't as high or maybe it's just because I'm older. Maybe it's just because we've been together for ages. So it's really reassuring to hear, no, it's just the changes that come with getting sober as well. Um, Yeah, I don't feel quite so redundant now. See, I was no, married when I first stopped drinking, and now I'm not. <laughs> you were married. That I was married when I first stopped drinking, and now I'm not. But I think a big part of that is like what you said, Emily, about respecting yourself and yeah. boundaries and all things like that. Because I don't think I'd ever from being a teenager had a relationship or sex where I actually respected myself and it has been like I'm what two over two and a half years sober now and exactly what you said I do now I do respect myself more I wouldn't just have, you just jump in now is there absolutely not a chance there's no way I would just have sex for just having sex is sick <laughs> <laughs> but it's true I mean I think that's what I'm trying to get at I mean now it's taken me probably almost two years to realise that actually it it is real. Not that it wasn't real. It was always real. It was always intimate. It was always lovely. But now it's just, it's so intimate. It's, 
it's raw, it's intimate, it, you feel everything. You, you oh, have- it's making me awkward this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like fidgeting under two. I can see it. I didn't mean like it. that. I did not mean like that. I've heard <laughs> my I just ran you carry on fidgeting under the table and we'll no. talk about this. <laughs> oh, I'll continue God. the awkward conversation. The only other, like, or not the only other, but a reassuring thing that I would say about sober sex <laughs> is that um, sexually, as human beings, really, that is what we are put on planet to do, is to reproduce. Yeah. So actually, it is inside of us for this to feel quite natural, actually, um, because that's what we, we are here to to do yeah. so we know how to have sex because it's actually in our dna so i always try and remind myself of this when i'm entering a sexy situation you were born to do this yeah. oh, Get, you know you were born to have fantastic sex <laughs> and at one point reproduce on this planet sober or off your face you can do it either way and i do like to i sometimes like play into my drunk like sex siren you know like what would you do if you were drunk you actually (laughs) you wouldn't be worrying about your body or you wouldn't be thinking feeling nervous about having sex with this person you would be feeling excited and liberated so I try and like play into that as well in a way and just remember okay what made me confident about having sex when I was drinking and how can I kind of bring that into my sobriety to make it's myself really feel point. sexy again, I suppose. And, and and to add to that, it is, for, certainly for me, the initiation of it that is the difficult bit. Once you're there and once you're in the moment, it's miles better than when you're doing it drunk. Miles better. Like It doesn't even compare. It's just the awkwardness of getting to that point that's quite difficult. And if you ever say to me, Lisa, that you were born to do this in a conversation, I am actually going to scream. <laughs> I am going to. That's what I'm going to say. I'm literally taking on all of Emily's <laughs> advice today. I'm going in bed earlier getting up earlier and having sex i'll be like i was born to do this baby let's do it <laughs> i think please give this a go and report back to us i will do yeah, oh, that would be so in a few months' time. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, yeah. No, I think it's a really useful conversation to have, and yeah, we're over, we're over it now, aren't we? That was good, Lisa. You did well there. Thank you. That's me being patronising, <laughs> really. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I but do I think find conversations like that so awkward. I think I'm a, I'm a secret. Alex says I'm prude. And I must be, there must be a bit, a little bit of like, I I do find things like this awkward, but when I was a drinker, never did I find it awkward. It's just being like you just trained your brain though for it to think, right, alcohol, sex, confidence. So it's just going back to our coaching piece and like retraining that, isn't it? It's just rewiring, just like how we had to, I think it's no different from when we were going out in social situations, really. When we were used to having a glass of wine and it felt a bit awkward and a bit uncomfortable yeah. to begin with. But now we've like rewired that. We're like, okay, great. Let's post sober events for people. And not that you're going to start posting sex events for people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although I do think there's quite a good market there. If anyone there is definitely a good market there. <laughs> I think it's again, in a way. with not aligning with your core values, like when you're drunk, you perhaps do things 
that you perhaps necessarily aren't as comfortable with as when you're sober it's like disrespecting yourself maybe so it's um it's just learning about yourself again it, isn't it, it is as basic as that though you know even sober dancing when you first and we were talking about this on a live last night when you sober dance you're just like a robot well I was because I can't dance anyway but I thought I could and I think that's part of it so you know getting drunk and loosening up and thinking you're sexy and thinking you're amazing you're probably not as or any moral in fact you're probably less sexy drunk than it's just having the confidence to kind of act it out I suppose you know like like I, I could I don't think I could get into that kind of zone of getting in my underwear even now even I'm now I'm going to practice while I, you were saying that I was thinking I've got I'm going to practice right in my bedroom in my underwear doing something <laughs> I'll fall for this I'm going to be doing some practicing <laughs> you know Lisa's imagination the reason the main reason isn't about being approved by the way the main reason that Lisa struggles with this conversation right is and I know it is it's because she's got such a vivid imagination right and she knows my husband so this is nothing to do with not being able to talk about you it's me talking about foreplay and she can actually see look look it's i knew disgusting. it was that it's i knew it was that. disgusting it's because you know my husband isn't it yeah it's, i knew it was i feel like I i've seen more than i should and it's dead <laughs> awkward then when i go around and we've had these conversations and i go hi sam <laughs> <laughs> I saw you last night. <laughs> More than your wife did. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know whether on that note we should kind of come to a close. But before we do, can we, I mean, obviously we'd like you to send us all your links and how people can get hold of you so that we can stick it all in your bio and in the description. But where's the best place for people to contact you, Emily? Because I do think they'll want to. I think this has been incredible, actually. Well, I hope so. Yeah, so they'd like to come to my page. I very much enjoy having you at our page. Um, it's at Sober and Social underscore or Sober and Social dot com. Or you can follow me at I am Emily Seifert on Instagram. That'd be fabulous. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm going to get you a T-shirt that says Born to Do It. So you can um, so you can wear it before you go <laughs> and enter your sexual encounter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can I just say on your closing note, I am so glad I didn't say your surname in the introduction because I definitely wouldn't have pronounced it as Cypher. So I'm so glad that I didn't. But yeah, Emily Cyphers, everybody. <laughs> Thank oh, you so thanks much. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> See you again. Bye.